0: Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 4, or half of you do that, half of you turn to James chapter 4. How about that, okay? We're going to read the James passage first. Uh, got a couple of passages. We won't read them uh, just at the same time. We're going to read the James passage first, then a little later we'll switch to the 2 Chronicles passage. And I forgot to look up the page numbers. Uh, 300, that's for the James passage the second chronicles passages on page 300 the james passages on page james chapter 4 james is 848 the james passages on 848 the second chronicles passages on page 300 yes i guess i'm only asking those with a pew bible if you've got your own thompson chain reference mega bible and uh, just as a matter of praise, uh, we're, we're probably going to have to buy some new Pew Bibles here pretty soon. Uh, we bought a whole bunch of them a couple of years ago, and we've gotten that the Word of God into that many people's hands, um, and I promise next time we're going to buy something with a little larger print. Yeah, yeah. You can't, I guess you just can't get a sample, uh, um, but anyway, so... Just as a quick review, we've been been, uh, looking at the subject of prayer, the topic of prayer. And in our first sermon, we sort of talked about uh, to whom are you praying? Who are you praying to? Who are you expecting to get blessings and all these good things from? And just so you know, uh, God is a jealous God. We even see that in the Ten Commandments. You will have no other gods before me. He wants exclusive rights to all of your prayers. All of your prayers, all of your needs, all of your desires, all of your wishes, every goal you have in life, everything, he wants exclusive rights to it because he doesn't trust anybody else to give you what you really need. There are a lot of other sources out there, and they're not all good. Uh, Not all of them created you. In fact, none other created you. None other redeemed you. None other is transforming your life. None other sent their son to die on the cross for your sins. None of them care for you that much. They may want some kind of power and influence in your life. They may want to give you a sense of power and, and influence, but they are ultimately not good. God alone, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He is the only one who wants to, uh, that you should be praying to, that, he wants, you, uh, that he, uh, he wants to hear your prayers, and He wants to hear you praying to nobody else. And you should have confidence in that. His gifts are good. His plans are good. His will is good. Any other spirit out there, any other source out there, I don't trust it. I don't trust it. The second sermon we had was sort of about, does prayer really work? Does prayer work? To what, uh, to what degree am I allowed to participate in the way God runs the universe? God runs the universe, him and nobody else. But he has asked us to participate. He has asked us to be part of that, even in the spiritual realm, with prayer to align our hearts, our plans, our wills, with his, and even to be part of the moving of the universe. He wants us to be part of that. We are not an extraneous part. We are a part of it. We're central to it. We're in there, right there with him. He wants us to be in there, but we better not also come away with the arrogance that we move and shake the world. We are not the movers of the world, but the mover of the universe says, hey, come push with me. Come push with me. Of course he doesn't need our, our help, but please come push with me come push with me. Be a part of this uh, with me. And then today, today we're going to look at this next question. Am I praying for the right things? Am I praying for the right things? Okay. So in the book of James, in the book of James, and there are a lot of people out there who love the book of James. How many of you say, I love the book of James? The book of James is just great. All right. How many of you would say, I don't know about the book of James. Sometimes, you know, uh, actually even Martin Luther didn't like the book of James. That's an interesting thing to think of a great theologian throughout history, reading a book of the Bible and saying, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I like it. But it wasn't part of what his generation needed as much. Uh, every generation needs every part of the Bible, uh, but his generation needed to hear the story of grace, not the story of works. Um, anyway, the book of James, to me, my real problem with it is that I'm, uh, I don't think the way James thinks. It's in, when I read the book of James, oftentimes I feel like every single sentence is a completely different subject matter. He, he's, he gives this sentence, and that's it's a good sentence on a good subject. All right, the next sentence has nothing to do with it, in my mind at least. So to me, he jumps all over the place. He's in his mind, I don't think he's jumping all over the place, uh, but in my mind, the, the way he talks, and apparently there's a difference in culture and communication styles between people who lived. 2,000 years apart and in very different cultures and language groupings. Who knew, right? Uh, So anyway, the book of James, a lot of of people, a lot of theologians would say, you know, I don't know that it was necessarily a letter written. It was, but what if it's just a collection of sermons? To me, it looks like a collection of sermons that James might have preached uh, to a lot of different people. Um, So anyway, we're going to look at some verses in the book of James, and you might get a sense of what what I mean when I say it looks like he just jumps all over the place. But in his mind, this is all one cohesive unit, okay? So let's pray, and then let's start reading. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be very good students of the word. Help me to understand the word, Lord. Uh, it was written um, a long time ago to people from, uh, from a different culture, by people from a different culture, but it's also written to me. So Lord, help me to sort of come out of my culture, come out of my, this time period, and read this um, in a way that all Christians at all times should read this but holy spirit please be our teacher this morning in jesus name i pray amen all right let's look at let's look at james chapter 4 we're going to read about the first 6 verses i think then i'm going to talk about just about 3 of them i think what causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from your desires that battle within you you desire but you do not have so you kill you covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture, the think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us but he gives us more grace that is why the scripture says god opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble okay so i don't know if you got a sense of how wow he's just really jumping all over the place he's just talking about all kinds of different things but that's almost always what i feel when i read uh, the book of james so james has posited a few assumptions there about us all right, And we're going to go through them sort of line by line very quickly to just say, all right, James, are you really on to something here? Are you really right? Is this really true? Um, so let's go through some of James's assumptions about us. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, immediately there, James is assuming that there are fights and quarrels among us. Is that true? Yes, yes. Unfortunately, his assumption is absolutely correct. Uh, No matter where you are, if there are two people together, there will be a quarrel. There will be a fight eventually, maybe not all the time, maybe not at uh, high decibel levels every single day, but uh, eventually at one time or another, you're going to have a quarrel or a fight uh, with somebody, whether it's your spouse, whether it's with your coworkers, with your boss, um, with your students if you're a teacher, or with your teacher if you're a student. Um, No matter what, you at some point are going to feel at odds with somebody else. Even in church, we have quarrels and, and fights. Have you ever been a part of a church that has quarrels and fights? This church doesn't, of course. No, we're a good, perfect church. We've never had any kind of cross words or anything here because Esther rules and everybody just does what she No, I'm just kidding. Especially on her birthday. That's a joke. Of course, okay, Of course, we've had quarrels and fights among ourselves. Of course, we've had cross words. all right? Why? Why do we have those things? What causes these things? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Obviously. Obviously, it comes from that. You and your spouse. If you and your spouse have a quarrel, guess what? One wants one thing and one wants something else. If you have a quarrel with your boss, he wants you to do something, you don't want to do it. Or you want to do something, he doesn't want you to do it. You have a problem with your coworker. You want them to do their stuff and not your stuff. Uh, or you want them to do your stuff so that you can, I don't know, anyway. But you have quarrels and fights with uh, your, your kids or with your parents or whatever because everybody wants something different. Everybody has different desires uh, in their hearts. Of course, that's why we have quarrels and fights. From the, the smallest little spat to the major world wars that we've had, all of it is caused by the exact same thing. One desires one thing, one desires another. Okay. Simple enough. James is on to something here, I think, so far. You you desire, but you do not have. So true. Isn't there something in your life that you want badly right now, but you don't have it? Are human beings ever really satisfied? Isn't there something that you are yearning for right now? Maybe it can be had. Maybe you know it cannot be had. But there is something that you want right now and you desire it more than you desire anything else in the world. You sit and daydream about it. Oh, if I just had this, then everything would be perfect. All right? You desire. You desire all the time, but you do not have. There's something that you don't have all the time. Even if you get the thing that you wanted, guess what? There's something else out there to have that you wish you had. The list of things to desire is endless. And so, our desires and our cravings are endless, so you kill. No, I don't. That's the one virtue that almost any of us in here can say, well, at least I never killed anybody. Isn't that what it all comes back to? If anybody ever starts trying to poke holes in your sense of self-righteousness, isn't that the one thing? The, the lowest denominator of all good, decent human behavior is, well, at least I never killed anybody. And I've never been in a room full of murderers, but I guess if I was, I'd be very nervous, but I'd also say, at least I never killed anybody. (laughs) So why does James say this, so you kill? Do you know who James was? He was the brother of our Lord, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say about murder? He said, and this really offends If you've ever hated somebody, you've murdered them in your heart. Well, that gets rid of that lowest denominator of good and decent human behavior, right there, doesn't it? Because you probably hated somebody, even if you say, "I don't hate anybody." You probably, in your life, at some point, you you have. And okay, let's not even talk about it that way. Let's talk about it in a figurative sense, so you never kill anybody. But have you ever desired something so much that you destroyed the possibility of ever getting it? You desired something from somebody and you pestered and badgered them to the point that there was no way you were ever going to get it. It's like Pepe Le Pew. Remember Pepe Le Pew? He's a skunk and what does he want? He wants the girl skunk. She's really a cat, but he wants the girl skunk. And boy, does he put on the charm. He does everything you're supposed to do. He says the right things, does the right things. He's super affectionate. And the more affectionate he gets, what happens? The faster she runs away. Have you ever been like Pepe LePew? You wanted something so bad that you actually destroyed any possibility of ever having it. Yeah, okay, maybe you have, maybe you have. Whether it's a person, a relationship, whether it's a tangible item, whether it's some sort of character quality, you got so obsessed with something that you basically just destroyed it. Remember the book of Mice and Men? Remember Lenny? Lenny's the big guy. He's huge, and he loves soft things. All right, his hand, he's a big, rough, tough guy, and he loved this little mouse. He had this little mouse, and he just rubbed it because it was so soft all the time, and what did he do? He crushed it to death because he had no sense of his own strength, sense of his own boundaries. He ended up killing a person because she was wearing a velvet dress that was so soft. We do those kinds of things. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, logically. If I could get it, I I would have it, and I wouldn't covet it anymore. I don't covet the things I have. I only ever covet the things that I do not have. So you quarrel and fight, as already stated. You do not have because you do not ask God, or do you? I do ask. I do ask. I do. I do come to the Lord in prayer, um, or do I, or do I? What do I? What do I confuse? Do I confuse yearning for prayer? Do I confuse longing and pining and daydreaming for prayer, uh, or do I ever really bring it before God? Because I've done that before. I've done that where I I didn't, it kind of dawned on me, you know what, I haven't really actually prayed about this. I've thought about this a lot. I've daydreamed about this a lot. I've hoped for this a lot. I've yearned and pined and longed for this quite a bit. But I actually don't know if I have spent very much time or any time at all actually down on my knees talking to God about this very thing that I actually want in life. And I certainly haven't necessarily, like Stacy was talking about, persistently kept knocking, consistently, persistently kept seeking and knocking and asking God, so maybe that's, maybe that's a real thing. Maybe I have flippantly asked for something in prayer. Maybe I, I have yearned for it a thousand hours and I have asked for it for 10 minutes. Maybe that's the way uh, that it really is, that I actually haven't spent real time in prayer talking to God about this thing that I want, okay? Maybe that's why, it's not answered. Maybe that's why. Because I haven't actually really thought about it. I haven't really... you may Maybe I've yearned, but yearning isn't always real detailed analysis about whether or not this is a godly desire, or if this is a, 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 a really a good thing for me in my life. Am I just wishing that my circumstances were different? What am I really, really asking for? And have I really approached God? Have I badgered other people maybe about it quite a bit? Maybe have I begged other people? Have I annoyed other people talking about it so much? But I haven't actually spent that much time with God about it. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Okay, wow, that's an interesting statement. Maybe I'm not asking for this with the right heart, but what do you mean by that, James? That you may spend what you get on your pleasures, on your pleasures. And um, I've done actually a lot of I've made reference to a lot of original words, like the word in the original Greek or in the original Hebrew, uh, quite a bit lately. I don't normally do that kind of thing, but uh, it it came to light when I was doing the background reading for this word pleasures. Do you know what it is? The Greek word is hedonias, from which we get our word hedonism, okay? All right. So it says pleasures. It says pleasures, and I don't know what your other translations say. Maybe they say cravings or desires or lusts or something like that. But th- when they translate this word, it's very important that they make it sound as negative as possible. Okay. So the word desire is uh, the word desire is is sort of a, a neutral word. It can be a good desire, it can be a bad desire. Uh, but a craving or a lust is definitely an evil desire. So however they translate this, if they're going to translate it correctly, remember. James here is not talking about things you need to pray about because you definitely need those things, and it's noble to pray about those things. He's talking about things that you want to spend your passions and your hedonism on. Okay, So just, so just drawing a line. He's drawing quite a line right here. If you're praying for somebody to be saved, do not worry. You are not asking with wrong motives. If you're asking for somebody to be healed, you are not asking with wrong motives. If you're asking for this day, give us our daily bread, you are not asking with wrong motives. Those things are very good things to be asking for. But James comes back here and says, Look, I know a lot of you want certain things that you shouldn't have, and you're asking God for wrong things and with the wrong intention in mind. But you can even ask for uh, good things, and then use them for something bad. Okay? Uh, if you've ever, you know, prayed for a relationship, prayed for marriage or something like that, you can desire marriage. And desiring marriage is a very good thing, but desiring another person to use is a very bad thing. Okay? What do you want in a spouse? Do you want somebody who will serve you and you not serve them? Or do you want somebody that you will serve all the rest of your life? What did you want from your spouse? Did you want somebody that you can build up? Or did you want somebody that you could just take and take and take from? And God's not going to uh, maybe answer that prayer. He shouldn't. He shouldn't answer that prayer. If I'm praying, uh, you know, and most of you know, I was single for a lot longer than I wanted to be single for. And I didn't not talk about it, okay? I prayed about it. I yearned and daydreamed and longed and, and annoyed people with it far more than I prayed for it, okay? But I think at a certain point, God's saying, there's no way I would give you one of my daughters so that you could use and take from her. You can stay single until you've learned a lesson or two about what it means to serve other people. Maybe, maybe I want a good thing for a bad reason. That's a real thing, okay? It's a real thing to consider. So what? So am I only supposed to pray like a monk or something here? Can I not ever have anything of my own? That's a question for you to consider and, and pray about. You adulterous people. Wow, that's a strong charge. Hey, I haven't committed adultery, except in a certain in a sermon on the mount sense. Yes, of course you've committed adultery. But what James is really referring to here is um, probably some Old Testament passages. Several times in the Old Testament, God would call His people adulterous people. You adulterous people. There's a book called Haggai. Is it Haggai? Haggai. Um, uh, the, and this prophet Haggai, the very first thing that God tells him to do is I want you to go marry an adulterous woman. Go marry a prostitute. Go marry a prostitute. A woman who is quite promiscuous will will sleep with anybody. And and this is why I want you to do that. Because I want you to show all the rest of the people of Israel how I feel. Because everybody in this nation, everybody among this group, this is the body of believers. This is the covenant people of God. But they are, remember what we said in our first sermon, God wants exclusive rights to all your prayers. They're going to every single rock and tree and idol that they can to pray for all kinds of things except for God. And God says, you adulterous people, I'm in a covenant with you and look how you're betraying me. Look how you're betraying me. Is that the book of Haggai or Hosea? It's Hosea, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Read the book of Hosea. Uh, What you've got there is a man who is, I lived in China for several years, not China, Maine, the real China. And they have a phrase for somebody like Hosea. He wears the green hat. And what that means is he's running around, his wife's running around on him and everybody knows it's been him. And that's what God was turned into in the Old Testament where his people were running to every other God but him. And what a, a fool it makes you feel when you know that somebody, that the covenant one, the one that you love, the one that you dedicated your, and devoted your whole life to is running around on you. It makes you feel terrible. And God says, Hosea, I want you to wear the green hat in front of everybody in all of Israel, and then I want you to tell them, I know how God feels. None of the rest of you do, but I know exactly how God feels. And for us, when we start praying and looking to any other source other than God, what do we become? We become adulterous people, adulterous people looking for our blessings, looking for our, uh, our gifts, our, um, our provision, everything that we want and need, looking to some other God for it, and we become adulterous adulterous people. It happens in the New Testament too. It's not just an Old Testament thing. It happens in the New Testament too. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Wait a second. I thought I was supposed to love the people of the world. Anytime the New Testament talks about the world, look at the context, of course, always, but most of the time, what it's really talking about is the the opposite of the kingdom of God. That's the world. The opposite of the kingdom of God, that's the world. That which you were converted out of, that which you were saved out of, That which God is transforming you away from, that is the world. and He's transforming you into a a child of God in the kingdom of God. And so what James is really saying here is, I thought you converted away from a worldly lifestyle. I thought you converted away from worldly desires. I thought you converted away from worldly goals. Why are all your prayers sounding like something that a person from the world would pray for? Why are you asking for things that a a true child of God or somebody who is kingdom-focused, not world-focused, but kingdom-focused, why are your prayers, why do your prayers sound exactly like a non-Christian, like a a non-believer? Why do your prayers sound exactly like that? Wow. Of course you're supposed to be friends with the people of the world. We're trying to save them out of the world, out of this world which is headed for judgment, out of this world which is passing away, and into the good and glorious kingdom of God. Of course that's why... We're trying to do, but we have to do that without getting ensnared by the wants, needs, desires, passions, goals, pleasures of the world. And so James is saying to these people, he's saying, and to us, be careful what you're praying for because anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You're either part of the kingdom of the world or you're part of the kingdom of God. What did you want? Which life did you want? Which kingdom did you want? And just as a, a sort of a, a humorous commercial break, uh, we'll, we'll look at the life of the world, okay? Uh, when I thought about it, all I could think was The Bachelor. <laughs> How many of you have ever watched The Bachelor? You can admit it, I've watched The Bachelor, okay? Actually, and I didn't want to. I'll I'll go ahead and say I'm okay, because I didn't want to. I was at uh, Susie's granddad's house, and he loves The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. He's in his 90s. All right? He's a great guy. I love him. But he loves the show. It's just hilarious, right? But what is the goal? Uh, (laughs) What's The Bachelor like? What is the world of The Bachelor like? He's in the middle. He's centered. Everything's centered around him. Around him is centered beauty everywhere, beauty in the form of people, beauty in the form of um, scenery and setting, beauty in the form of this house, and beauty in this ultimate goal that every girl there is going to say yes to him. No risk at all for the bachelor. Every girl is going to say yes to him, okay? Isn't that when you yearn and dream about the life that you want, or the life that your flesh wants. is not this kind of thing come to mind? But what's the reality of The Bachelor? <laughs> In the end, the reality of The Bachelor every week is tears and rejection. And I know that if you've watched The Bachelor... I mean, I don't know what kind of girls go on this show. And it's, there's The Bachelorette, too. So I don't know what kind of guys go on this show either, okay? But um, most of these girls probably don't have a good sound foundation for what makes a happy marriage and home. Okay, let's just go ahead. And, and I'll assume that maybe it's not true. But if you watch it, when you watch it, you actually probably have a nice girl picked out. She's the one he ought to pick, right? Am I, am I not right here? Okay, there's a girl that you hate, and you hope he does not pick her. And week after week, she stays in. And you, it just galls you. And then at some point, he rejects the sweetheart that you thought he ought to end up with. And you curse his name. <laughs> and that is the way the world works, folks. Folks. Even if you are given the chance at ultimate prestige and hedonism for all the world to see, okay? In 1 John, he talks about three basic categories of sin. The lust of the eye, check. The lust of the flesh, double check. The pride of life, you're on national TV. Getting all the lust of your eyes and flesh can handle. In the end, Everybody curses his name. I can't imagine how much hate mail the Bachelor gets (laughs) week to week. Surrounded with beauty and poor intentions, the blessings mean nothing. Better, better for you to pick a different life. Who's on the bottom there? That's Billy Graham. Who's on the top left there? Mother Teresa. Who's on the top right? Albert Schweitzer. Very good. Who's that? Yes. He was uh, the most famous missionary doctor there ever was. Except for Dr. Livingston, I presume. Uh, Did you get that? Did you catch that? That's good. All right. Look at these folks. Did they have a kingdom focus? Did they pursue hedonism, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life? Did they pursue any of that? Of course not. What did they do? They surrounded themselves with the ugliness and the kingdom of God in their hearts. And they brought beauty to, and goodness and joy and peace and the love of God to the ugliest places on earth, especially the top two there. Ugliest places on earth. And what did they do? They brought hope and joy and peace to it. And even the world tells us what kind of life is noble because nobody writes a biography about The Bachelor. But how many biographies of these people are there? A lot. Because even non-Christian people, even unredeemed people, even unregenerate people know that's a life worth emulating. So, the question is: What kind of life are you yearning for? What kind of life are you asking God for? What kind of life is your goal? These people did not surround themselves with uh, with hedonism. They were givers. They were not takers. They were workers. They were not partiers. One of them, I assume, was a virgin. And yet, these are the lives that everybody says, be like that person. Be like that person. What kind of life are you praying for? If God assumes and looks at your life and listens to your prayers and says, but that's not the life I've got for you. That's not the good life. That's not the heroic life of ministry that I have for you. Your prayers reflect hedonism far more Than that which is in the kingdom of God. And why in the world would he answer that kind of a prayer? Why in the world would he do that? Why in the world would he transform you into the image you have for your own life when his image for your life is much, much better? Let's let's look at a a prayer. This is your second Chronicles, chapter four prayer or passage. Um, there's a guy in the Old Testament named Jabez. Very little known about Jabez. These verses are it, okay? There's hardly anything known about this guy. It is just, it's just a blip. There's chapters of lists of names, and here's this blip about this guy. And in the mid to late 90s, there was a book written uh, about this prayer. And uh, somebody up here is laughing and and sort of smiling about it because um, this reflects our hearts. Jabez's prayer was a good prayer, and we're, we're going to prove that. We're going to talk about it here in a minute. But, um, And I never read that book, so I don't know what that book actually says, the exegesis of that book. But I know that the culture around that book turned bad, okay? Because it turned, into, it turned this good prayer into an incantation of an abundant life. Pray this every day for 30 days, and wow, everything will just happen for you, okay? It happened. There were people that, that said that kind of a thing. First Chronicles chapter 4. Excellent. Thank you. I put those things in there so I know that you're paying attention. <laughs> Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez saying, I gave birth to him in pain. His name means pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Okay? Now, that's an attractive prayer. That sounds like like the good life. That sounds like the good life, doesn't it? And we can take our hedonistic heart and pray a good prayer and turn a good prayer into something that will not be answered. Okay? Let's look at, let's look at this in a little bit more detail. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Yeah, I understand that. I'm better than my siblings too. I'm just kidding. But what it tells me is that he didn't come from a good family. How many of you don't come from a good family? All right. He didn't come from a very good family. They weren't all uh, seeking after the Lord, but Jabez was. He was different. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain, okay? Um, And I'm going to be pretty hard on Jabez's mother, but first we'll ask, how many of you had some pretty bad labor out there, okay? I I was thinking, we won't do this, but I was thinking, let's just have a contest to see who had the longest labor, okay? Um, How many over, oh, well, hands are going up. How many hours? hours? 36 hours. Can anybody beat that? All right, Susan's got it, okay. She gets the certificate. Oh, no. days. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Do you hang it over your children's head? No. And tongue-in-cheek, tongue-in-cheek, you certainly can. Okay. (laughs) Tongue-in-cheek, I think it's fine to do that. Okay. I labored many hours for you. It hurt so bad. I think it's fine to do that. Okay. Uh, The fathers don't have that. All we have is, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Make, make another one just like you, okay? <laughs> if you're doing it humorously, fine. She named her child Pain. She named her child Pain. You're a Pain. And in that culture, in our culture, it's not as big of a deal. Many of you don't even know the meaning of your name. There may not be a meaning for your name. name our names have have meanings, ultimately, that kind of goes back to somewhere, unless somebody just put some words together and say, that sounds pretty, okay? But your name probably does have a meaning, but most of us don't grow up knowing the meanings of our names, okay? It's not like, it's not like China, okay? In China, they know the meanings of their names because they name themselves just regular words, okay? So a, a, a male around my age, a very common name for him is Jianguo, all right? And what does Jinghua mean? Jin means establish. Guo means the country. Establish the country. Very patriotic name, all right? His name means establish the country, and it conveys all this meaning and responsibility and duty and, 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 you know, good things. Son, this country will not be established by you without you, so I name you establish the country, all right? That's wonderful when you can give somebody a meaning, a name that has meaning, like that, and in Hebrew culture, ancient Hebrew culture especially, like this, names had meaning. You were supposed to live up to the meaning of your name. And she named him Pain. So that identity follows him around. There's one other place in the Old Testament where uh, um, Benjamin, Benjamin, uh, Jacob and Rachel were his parents, and Rachel died giving birth to him. But before she died, she said. His name is Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow, son of my sorrow, okay? Well, what kind of a legacy is that going to be? What kind of an imprint is that going to leave on a child's life? So after she died, Jacob said, I'm going to call him Benjamin, Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Rachel's my right hand. She's gone now, but I've got Benjamin now. He's with me. He's going to be my right hand. He's going to serve me, and he's going to be my confidant all throughout this life. Now, that's a good name. Pain is not a good name. Not a good name. And so Jabez cries, cried out to the God of Israel, and that's who you should be crying out to. Oh, that you would bless me. In other words, don't be against me, Lord, be for me and enlarge my territory, which sounds selfish, but remember, Israel is the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. And Jesus, his definition of the kingdom of God, radically changed everybody's idea about what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is everywhere that there are believers. That's where the kingdom of God is. It has no borders. It's expanded. Every nation in this world has a believer or two at least. The kingdom of God is everywhere. But in the Old Testament era, it wasn't that way. If God is going to grow the kingdom, the borders have to be grown too. And so Jabez says, give me a bigger piece of the kingdom of God. Let your hand be with me. In other words, not my will, but thine be done. And keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And I think that means, in other words, let me overcome the meaning of my name. What girl wants to marry a guy named pain? She's going to bring pain into his life. Who wants to do business with pain? They're going to live up to their name. Who wants to have any kind of covenant with somebody named pain? Because you're going to get pain. So Lord, let me be free from this legacy, from this reputation, from this identity that was forced upon me that I didn't ask for. I want to be free from it. Folks, if you want something to pray for, then pray for a part in the kingdom of God. It's more than just a piece of land. It's a part to play in the work of God in the world and pray that you will overcome your past, your your reputation Humble yourself and cry out to God for a redeemed life, and God will lift you out of the miry clay. And you'll end up being more noble than your brothers or your so called friends and the rest of the culture around you. If you want a life redeemed and a life that centers around Christ and his kingdom, that's the kind of prayer God wants to hear. Jabez asked for these things, and he asked with good motivation. We know that because the Lord granted his request. He didn't ask amiss. So why didn't I win the lottery? Why don't I have the truck that I want? Why didn't I make the team? Why didn't I get into the college I wanted? Why didn't I get the job or the raise or the promotion or the house or the spouse that I wanted? Maybe it's because I wanted to spend them on my pleasures and my pride. Maybe my narcissism needed a rest. Maybe having those things in my life would tempt me to take Christ out of the center of my life and make those things an idol. For you... Maybe God would rather work in your life to redeem you from an identity He doesn't want you to have anymore. Maybe it's better for you to pray about your heart and your name and your reputation and your place in God's kingdom more than to pray for creature comforts. Maybe your character needs more work than your resume. Maybe God needs to impress you more than you need to impress other people. Maybe God wants to answer your your prayers, but but not your prayers that are intended to bolster a life that is ultimately not worth living. He will continue to work on your heart, to work on your character, and to work on your place in his kingdom, even while you're still dreaming of the life that he's trying to save you from. It'll frustrate your your flesh that he doesn't answer these kinds of prayers, but it'll refresh your soul. And now I want to lead us in in a kind of a A prayer based on the prayer of Jabez, but for the New Testament. A New Covenant Believers Prayer of Jabez. Let me read it and then we'll pray it together. Dear God, I know you are gracious and merciful and generous. I know that if I cry out to you, you will hear me. Lord, please bless me and be for me. Lord, give me a place in your kingdom. Help me to find my place and thrive there. Guide me and complete all the ministry you want to happen through me. Let nothing hinder me as I serve you. And Lord, please redeem my life, my identity, and my reputation. Make me a new person. Let my name be synonymous with blessing. Lord, please grant me this request in Jesus' name, amen. Okay? Let's say that together. Dear God. I know you are gracious and merciful and generous. I know that if I cry out to you, you will hear me. Lord, please bless me and be for me. Lord, give me a place in your kingdom. Help me to find my place and thrive there. Guide me and complete all the ministry you want to happen through me. Let nothing hinder me as I serve you. And Lord, please. Please redeem my life, my identity, my reputation. Make me a new person. Let my name be synonymous with blessing. Lord, please grant me this request. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, we're going to have an altar call. Uh, and we don't do that very often here. But So what is an altar call? An altar call is a time for you to respond. Okay? So, um... There will be elders up here um, and they will pray with you if you want somebody to pray with. If you just want to do business with God in your heart, just sort of um, kneel at the steps up here and pray to God and tell him what it is that you want and need and desire. And then I, I would encourage you to say, Lord, this is the life I had dreamed of and I lay it before you for scrutiny. Lord, change the direction if needs be. I want to follow and I want to have whatever life you have for me rather than the life that I dreamed of for myself. And while we do this altar call, there's going to be music played in the background, and we're going to be playing a song. We're going to be playing a song. And this is a song that uh, probably many of you have heard, and it's a song that we sing in Celebrate Recovery quite often. And it's, uh, it was actually, was it number one on the pop charts or something like that too? Uh, like what I said before, sometimes even the world knows um, a good truth when they hear it, okay, uh, and lauren Daigle uh, she wrote this on a very young girl, a very powerful voice very it, it really ma- makes a uh, has made an impact on, on a lot of people and there 's a lot of truth in it, and I want to point out a few things uh, that, I, that I just want to highlight and and help you understand this is what this really means for the believer. Uh, I keep fighting voices in my head that say i 'm not enough, every single lie that tells me I will never measure up, and you probably deal with those kinds of things you probably have voices in your head. You probably are hearing lies. You probably are believing things about yourself, uh, things that God wants to redeem you from. And I will say this, if it's the world's measures, if it's the world's measures of things, we need to get rid of those. We need to not be living by how the world wants us to measure up. What does the world want me to be? And, and, and then I need to remind myself, this world's passing away. Now, if it's God's standards that I'm not measuring up to, I have to own that because I'll never measure up to God's standards. That's why Christ came to die for me, so that his standards could be imputed to me. His fulfillment can be given to me. But every other standard, pff, forget it. I, I, need to, I need to be able to, to, to get rid of those, those um, uh, insecurities in my life. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know because I forget I'm a child of God. I forget that I follow you. I need to be reminded. Uh, It's incredible that I can be a Christian for so many years and still forget who I am, who I am supposed to be. Um, And so you say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I am weak. Or this is how I like to think of it. Remember what Paul said? When I'm weak, then I'm strong when I'm trying to do anything in my own power, even when I think I'm strong, even when I think I can do it, every time I think I can, I fail. I need to come back and rest in God's strength, in God's wisdom, everything, uh, every strength that God has, and just be content with my weakness because when I am weak, then he shows his strength in me. You say I'm held when I'm falling short, day after day after day, falling short, but I'm held and when I don't belong, you say I am yours. And a Christian ought to feel less and less like they belong in this world. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My, heaven, my home is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I am, I, my life is with the Lord. And if I feel like I don't belong in the world, then maybe that's good. Maybe that means progress. Maybe that means growth. Um. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. Remember everything he thinks of you. And for me, especially, if, I, if I'm honest, I tend to struggle with self-righteousness, not, not the opposite. And I need to remember every once in a while, uh, you're a sinner and you need to be transformed. But after I've been forgiven, if I forget that I've been forgiven, then I need to be reminded that I am forgiven forgiven. In you, I find my worth. In you, I find my identity. Absolutely. And then my favorite line, and I believe. I believe. What got us into this fix in the world? Disbelief. We didn't trust God and we ate the apple. Our lack of trust in him, our lack of belief in him, it's it's the source of all of our pain. So how do we reverse that? We believe, all right? Girls, um, come forward. Ladies. And while, while they sing, this is what I want each of you to do. Elders, um, Richard, uh, come forward and, and, uh, and stand here. And if you want to pray about something, one of these people will pray with you. If you don't want to pray with anybody in particular, just say, I'm here to do business on my own with the Lord. But if you would like somebody to help you pray, to guide you in prayer, you can come to one of these people. uh, And then let's, and if in your seat, if you want to do, do your business with the Lord there, react to the message that he has, just do it there too, okay? Heavenly Father, we love you and we believe in you. And Lord, we trust that what you want is good, what you say is good, Lord, please transform our minds, redirect our trajectory in this world off of a life that is ultimately worthless to a life that is ultimately eternal and in the scope of blessing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.